we're going to go right to our first topic because I love this one. This week, singer Mariah Carey was hit with a $20 million lawsuit for copyright infringement related to her single, All I Want for Christmas Is You. It was put out about 20 years ago. It was a huge hit. In fact, it is the number one holiday song by a female artist ever in the history of music topping charts, making millions and millions of dollars. And uh, a composer said he is the one who wrote the song, not Mariah Carey, and he's suing to uh, recover proceeds, uh, probably in excess of $20 million if he's uh, if you're asking him. With us to discuss this really interesting issue is one of the foremost copyright litigators in the country, Julianne Hartzell. She's a partner in Chicago law firm of Marshall Gerstein. She concentrates in what we call intellectual property. It sounds good, doesn't it? advising clients and litigating matters involving patents and trademarks and copyrights. Uh, She was voted by Chicago Lawyer Magazine, one of the top 50 women in the law. Welcome to the show, Julianne. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation. So I want to play, uh, just play, um, I'm going to play a little segment from the Mariah Carey song, Remind Everyone of the Song. I'm sure you remember it. Andrew, why don't you play that? Okay, we all remember that, right? That's fun to kind of hear it in the summertime. And now I'm going to play the one by uh, a man named Mr. Uh, I guess Andy Stone, who is claiming that he's the one who wrote the song. And here's when it was performed uh, 20 years ago, or actually more than 20 years ago. Go ahead. Interesting. It's kind of like a country westerny type of uh, sound to it. Okay, so what is the law on this? Can you tell us, Julianne? Sure. So copyright infringement focuses on whether something original has been copied, but it doesn't protect ideas. It only protects how those ideas are expressed. So as you mentioned, there's a little bit of a different feel to these two songs. In order to succeed on his claim, um, Mr. Stone would need to show... First, that it's likely that Mariah or her co-writer had or could have had access to his song. And it's reported that he got fairly widespread airplay, so he may be able to succeed on that. But he will also need to show that the two songs, either the words or the melody or both, are substantially similar. Essentially, that they're so much alike that a jury can assume that Mariah or her co-writer took original parts of his song. So when this, I guess I should ask, and I see a lot of these cases, Julianne, where the song, like I remember um, just a while ago, uh, there was a lawsuit against, uh, uh, it was for Stairway to Heaven. It was against uh, the band for, for for taking that song and stealing that song. And it was, you know, it was released in 1971. And we just saw a resolution of that case like two years ago. Why do you think these songwriters who make these claims wait so long? There has been a little bit of a change in the law. So there used to be a more strict timeline to bring these kinds of cases. But there was a copyright case involving Raging Bull a few years ago, the movie Raging Bull. And the Supreme Court said that while there may be a time limit on how long you can recover damages, 
the continued copyright infringement creates a new time frame for you to bring a new case. So um, with that change in the law, some people have been motivated to bring cases that they may not have brought earlier. Ah, interesting. That That is why we're seeing some of these things. So when Mr. Stone brings this lawsuit, tell me how does he construct his case? You said he's got to prove that he, that Mariah Carrier or the co-writer had access, meaning heard the song, maybe they were in the same room together singing it, or maybe he, it even played on the air and it was copied. So, and it goes in front of a jury. What kind of, uh, what kind of witnesses do you put on to prove that case so the jury can find that these cases are similar and that this was an actual stealing of the copyrighted material? In a lot of copyright cases, you can rely on a bit of the gut reaction of how close, how similar are these things. And then you would have witnesses who were involved in the creation of of either of the songs or both of the songs talking about how they were each created. But in music copyright cases particularly, there may be expert witnesses, often musicologists, who will come in and talk about the similarities between the musical phrases or portions of the melody. Interesting. And and I suppose you're right, though, that if you have 12 people from the community sitting there, experts can say, well, the beat is very similar, this is a three-quarter time, or this is that or the other thing, and the melody has the same general feel. But it really it has to be a gut feeling, doesn't it? I mean, do those songs sound alike to you? The title's the same. Uh, you know, I'm sitting on the jury right now without hearing anything, and I think, wow, they're pretty similar. I mean, again, different feel. You got the country western, and you got Mariah Carey's touch to it, but they do sound very similar. That is interesting because I, uh, from my perspective, my gut reaction was sort of the opposite. Oh. My gut reaction was the titles are the same, which isn't enough to bring a copyright case. And there are a couple of phrases in the lyrics that are similar. They talk, they both talk about underneath the Christmas tree. But overall, the musical uh, arrangement to my ear, which is not a trained musical ear, uh, don't sound all that similar. And that's really interesting. It would be kind of fun. I don't know if we have time for it today, but maybe in our second hour, listeners, uh, you can call in and vote. Do you think, from what you have heard with those two pieces of music, would you say that there was a, a copyright infringement? I'd love to hear uh, what you have to say about that. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about another lawsuit that has been in the news in the last few days, and it has to do with Elvis Presley. You're listening to the Karen Conti Show on WGN. Elvis-themed weddings have been big business uh, for a long time in Las Vegas. Uh, 40,000 a year are married uh, in Las Vegas um, chapels that have an Elvis theme. Last week, a cease and desist letter was sent to multiple wedding chapels telling them to quit using the name, the likeness, the voice, and the image. And I want to talk a little bit about it with our expert here, Julianne Hartzell. She is with the law firm of Marshall and Gertz and she is an expert uh, litigator in the area of copyright. Julianne, what do you make of this lawsuit? And is it why do you think it's just geared toward the chapels and maybe not other Elvis impersonators and the like? So just to clarify, um, right now this is at the stage where a letter has been sent uh, advising the chapels of the rights owned by Authentic Brands Group. It's not actually risen to the level of a lawsuit. And they have indicated in media reports, Authentic Brands has indicated that they have a good relationship with lots of different entities that use and impersonate the Elvis likeness, and they are interested in negotiating agreements with these chapels to make sure that they also are authorized. 
oh, so it's not necessarily they have to stop. It's just that they're trying to look to cut some sort of deal. I would imagine some sort of financial deal. That would be my expectation, but there is also, so one, I would expect that the chapels would have to pay some sort of royalty to use the likeness, but also my expectation is that those agreements may have some terms related to the quality or the ways in which the likeness can be used, sort of a a quality control that allows them some uh, way to keep the brand aligned with their interests. And, you know, some people were rolling their eyes and going, wow, Elvis Presley's been dead. I mean, the family has enough money, but 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 it's a very valuable asset and it has to be protected. And I would imagine uh, it's important for the family in some ways. It's not just monetary, as you said, but maybe just not making it like a complete cheesy thing, I guess. Right. Yeah, so I actually have a theory, and this is not based on anything but my gut feeling <laughs> okay. again, that perhaps Authentic Brands Group, which owns these rights, may be interested in capitalizing on the new Baz Luhrmann Elvis movie that's coming out that oh. Baz Luhrmann has described as um, sort of a superhero film. So they may be wanting to use that opportunity to change or upgrade the reputation of Elvis. That's why I get all the smart people on the show. <laughs> that sounds like a really good timing uh, situation. What you know, without getting into too many details and legalese and all that, um, how, how what right? Who has the right to control a dead person's image? I know we see Einstein on T-shirts and coffee mugs, and we see Marilyn Monroe um, things. You know, T-shirts. What? Who? Who has the right, and how does that work? So there are really two rights that are at issue there, and one of them is the likeness, the voice, and the image that we talked about, and that falls under the right of publicity. And right of publicity is governed by state law, so it changes from state to state. In many states, it goes to the deceased person's estate to own. This also sort of involves trademark rights, and those can be governed by uh, contract as well. Here, the letters claim trademark rights to the name Elvis, Elvis Presley, and the King of Rock and Roll. So, um, so maybe now is a good time to kind of define what we're talking about because I do hear people kind of use those terms, trademark, copyright, and even patent, in ways that may or may not be accurate. Can you give our listeners sort of a definition of each one of those, and maybe even an example of a type of um, protection that each one of those uh, things would would hold? Sure. And I'll actually start with right of publicity since we were just talking about that one. And that really is the right to profit off your own identity. Then we have trademark, which I mentioned, and that's focused on a source identifier. And that means basically that how how do consumers view this logo or this word as being affiliated with a particular company or person and saying that whatever product is involved is authorized by that person or comes from that person? And then for copyright, we talked about that in connection with the music, but it also protects any kind of original creative works like books or movies or music or sculptures. And then we have patents and they protect inventions for useful machines or processes or products. So starting with the last one, the, the patent, I hear people all the time, and in fact, a lot of listeners will call me. Uh, obviously, I don't practice in that area and, and patent lawyers have to have special qualifications. Um, but 
patent if they have an idea for something. I have an idea on how to stir paint in a better fa- fashion, uh, and it's an idea. Can you patent that idea, or do you have to do more in order to receive a patent? You have to file for the patent, and you have to have a reasonable belief that your invention will work for its intended purpose. And you have to include enough details when you file the patent application that you're describing what is the invention and how does it work. So you do have to have some details, and you can't just say, I, I, I think this paint stir is, is a good idea, and it involves uh, you know, a brush instead of a stick or something. It has to be, have some substance to it. Yeah, you have to have some details to explain why it's different from what was before. And uh, let's talk about copyright. So copyright will cover books and and um, and the it, it doesn't cover the the oral word. Is that right? It has to be reduced to some sort of either a movie or an audio or a video or something that's tangible. Is that am I saying that correctly? It has to be in some fixed form. So recording a voice would be sufficient, but it has to be uh, not something that you're con- contemporaneously performing without recording in any way, shape, or form. Now, people out there, you know, maybe they wrote the great haiku, who knows, the great poem, the great whatever, they, their, their, their life story, they've written it, and now they want to copyright it. Do, do they need a lawyer, or is there a simple way that they can copyright their work? They immediately have the copyright ownership once they create it in a fixed form. They own it at that point. However, to enforce it, it is better to register it with the Copyright Office. The Copyright Office on their website has great resources, and it is possible to file for yourself, but there are some legal intricacies that sometimes make it worthwhile to reach out to a lawyer. And... Let's talk a little bit about these two with the cease and desist letter and the Elvis matter and the all I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey lawsuit. Let's just talk about, let's first start with Mariah Carey. What if if the jury, if the 12-member jury sits down and they say, well, we think uh, Mariah stole that song from uh, Andy Stone, and how are damages calculated? How much could uh, Andy Stone hope to make in a lawsuit like that? There are several different ways to calculate damages for copyright, but in this instance where something is super successful, it's likely that what he's going to ask for and what he has asked for in the complaint are the profits that that Mariah and Sony Music, who's also a defendant in the case, that they received from the song. And or and and so that would just be a calculation of, of and they, they they would they would get the information on how much that record sold and look at the profits involved and have some accountant up on the stand calculating that and telling the jury what that is. Yes, that's exactly how it would work. And um, so let's talk about what we see on the internet. And you know, it just the whole, it's a whole different world now when you have people reposting things. I mean, it used to be that you'd see an article in the newspaper and you really can't, you know, republish it because it's a copyrighted, um, it's copyrighted material, but you regularly see people reposting things and reposting like whole segments of, of works. Tell me how the law has kept up with that advent. It really is a bit of a balance that in copyright law, you're always looking at how much was taken and how much it has affected the market for the original work. So part of what you're looking at in deciding whether the use is enough is did they copy the whole article? Did they copy part of it? 
Uh, and did they add on to it? Did they give commentary or use it to make some sort of point? How was it used or was it just posted as a replacement of the original article as a way to make money on your own website by taking advantage of someone else's work. So it's really a balance about how much the original market was affected and how much was taken from the original work. Julianne, um, tell me just before I, I say goodbye and let you go on with your afternoon, uh, what what kind of cases do you work on generally? What is like, is there a typical type of case that, that uh, you work on in your law firm, in the law firm of Marshall and Gerstein? Well, one thing I really love about our work is that we get a wide variety of uh, patent, trademark, copyright issues. But I've had the opportunity to work with some some small musicians and some authors uh, who really needed representation. But also we get to work on some big patent cases that involve large companies fighting about things like pharmaceuticals. And we get to help them resolve their issues in a broader spectrum. So we get a wide range of cases and it uh, makes it really interesting work. I'll bet. And I'll bet it gets really complicated. And I imagine it's probably a real challenge to try to take a patent uh, case and it, with all the complicated issues and scientific and mechanical things and boil it down for a jury so they can understand uh, those issues. That really is the key of those cases. Yeah. yeah. Julianne Hartzell, thank you so much for joining us. If uh, people would like to get a hold of you to discuss their issues, how would they do that? Our law firm's website is marshallip.com, and that's usually the best way to track us down. And you can always uh, email me at wgn at com. Thank you so much, Julian. Have a good one. Thank you, Karen.